Father, what a sacred moment this is right now. Great are you, Lord. Is there... And yet that declaration, that proclamation hardly seems like enough. Oh, Lord, that we be stilled and humbled in your presence right now. The greatness of our God, the holiness of our God, the power of our God, the majesty of our God, the presence of our God. Oh, Lord, that we would take our rightful place before you right now, humbled, saying, Lord, speak to us, speak to me. Speak to my heart today. Give me faith today. Faith to believe that you are who you say you are and you will do what you say you will do. Leave no doubt. Leave no doubt in my heart, God. So Father, right now, whatever has happened this week, whatever cares or anxieties, we just cast those at your feet right now because great are you and greatly to be praised. Great are you. We can lay those down knowing God, that you will carry our burden. You will give us the strength right now. Would you speak to us today? Would you find a church that humbles itself eagerly, joyfully, willingly under the authority of your word that doesn't sit in pride or buck against it, but God in Jesus' name says, Lord, change me. I am a man, I am a woman, I am a child in desperate need of your glory today desperate need of your healing hand Lord give me faith to believe give me faith to believe Father be with my mouth please guard it from error and say what you want to say by the power unction and utterance of your Holy Spirit today in Jesus name get all the glory church if you agree say amen amen you may be seated church you may be seated Well, this morning marks the final message in our summer series called Fuel for Your Faith, The Miracles of Elisha. The Miracles of Elisha. We started in 1 Kings chapter 1 with the call of Elisha. Then we went into 2 Kings chapter 3 with the miracle at Moab. Then we went to 4 where we saw God's promise of provision for his people through a widow and her need for the oil. Then we looked last week at the choice for faith that each of us, you and me, is faced with every day. Will I choose God's promise or will I choose my pride? And we looked at that through the the life of the Syrian commander Naaman. And now we're going to kick back to Syria again. And this is the climax message. Everything, every provision you've seen, every promise fulfilled is pointing to this climax message today. And it's called the call of faith. Do not be afraid. There is no greater message, honestly, in this series to end with than this one. Faith is calling, loved ones. Did you hear that? Loved ones. Faith is calling. Do not be afraid. Faith is calling. Do not be afraid. And last week we saw how pride is the number one killer of our faith. Pride is the number one killer of our faith. And there is perhaps no greater fruit of pride manifested in our lives that hinders our faith more than, ready for this, ready for this? Here it is, number one fruit of pride, fear. Fear. Did you know fear is a root, has a root of pride in it? There is no greater fruit that hinders our faith more than fear. I'm not talking about a fear of the Lord, loved ones. A fear of the Lord that says, Lord, I, I honor you, I reverence you, and increasing love for you. That's not the fear we're talking about. That's great. That is the furnace of faith. An increasing fear of the Lord is our furnace of faith. But here's the fear we're talking about that comes from pride. Maybe just examine your last week. Examine your last month. Does this describe you? Any of these? Ready? The fear of man. The fear of man is pride. That is the root. Self-preservation, gotta look good. Or this, how about this? The fear of failure. I can't do that, what if I fail? I can't take that opportunity. I can't step out of faith, what if I fail? That's a fear of failure, the root is pride. What about this? The fear of losing control. I gotta have everything under control, I gotta do it my way, I gotta have my agenda just so, and then if, and then if something gets altered, what am I gonna do? That's pride. How about this, fear of the unknown. 
What if I do what God's calling me to do and I step into that? I don't know what's going to happen. It's pride. It manifests itself so subtly. Which of those is a battle for you? Maybe more than one? More than one, maybe? The call of faith, do not be afraid. 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 8 to 23. If you do not have a copy of God's word in front of you, hey, 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 listen, let's get a copy of God's word in front of us this morning. The ushers are coming right now. Put up your hand. We want to put a Bible in your hand. And if you do not have a Bible at home, please keep that as our way of encouraging you to continue to dive in and study God's word on your own. 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 8 to 23. The call of faith says, the call of faith always says, do not be afraid. Now, in order to understand and get some basis for what this whole idea of faith is, we need to get some biblical grounding in it. Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us this, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. The assurance of things hoped for, and here's a big word for today, the conviction of things not seen. What you see, that's not faith. The conviction of things not seen. And so let's break that down to a street level definition. We've been working through this series and it is this. Faith choosing. There, that is so key. Choosing God's promise. Choosing my pride. Choosing to believe God's word and acting upon it in his power. Because we can't have faith on our own. It has to come from him every time. Acting on it in his power no matter how I feel. Because why? God is glorified and promises a good result. But there's a problem. We hear that. We've been exhorted in that. But here's the problem. Most Christians are living their lives by fear, not faith. Most Christians live the majority of their lives, hour by hour, by fear, not faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. Hebrews 11.6. So we need to take it seriously. The enemy is doing a great job of deceiving them to, into believing that God is not faithful. God is not faithful. God will not fulfill his promises and God cannot be trusted to do what he says. He will not fulfill the promise to meet all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. He will not fulfill the promise that says, behold, do not be afraid. I am with you. I will uphold you and strengthen you by your righteous right hand. He will not fulfill his promise that says, when you ask for wisdom and not doubt, I will give it. I will give you what you need. He, the devil's like, no, you can't, can't trust him. Did God really say? Did God really say? Did God really say? Look at Genesis chapter two. He's been saying that the whole time. Genesis chapter three. Can he really be trusted? It's a daily battle. Will I give in to fear or will I choose to walk by faith? That's a daily battle over and over and over. We must understand this though. When we say faith is calling, here's what faith is always calling out, right? You'll see it on the screen. Take a picture, write this down. God is faithful. God is faithful. He can be trusted. Hey, loved one, in your situation right now, he can be trusted. Don't believe him? Take him up on it. And you'll see, he can be trusted. He is with you. He is with you. He will see it through. Do not be afraid. That is what faith is always calling out. He is with you. Do not be afraid. The question is, the question is, never will God be faithful. The question is always, will I walk by faith or by sight? Fear or faith? Here in this text, Elisha and his servant are faced with the same question. As they are surrounded by a massive Syrian army and by all visible means, every odd is stacked against them and there is no way out. This is the question they're faced with. Will I walk by fear or walk by faith? And here we see two critical faith practices. We're going to call them faith practices that we must engage in every day. Faith's like a muscle. You've got to work it out. How do we do this? Two critical faith practices we must engage in every day if we are to be reminded of God's faithfulness and fearlessly, fearlessly walk by faith in the situations we face. Let's look at verses 8 to 12. Let's stand to honor the authority of God's word as we read. 2 Kings chapter 6, 
verses 8 to 12. Horses and chariots of fire. Doesn't that just like rev you up a little bit this morning? Horses and chariots of fire. Buckle in, loved ones. Time to get fueled. Once when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took with his servants, took counsel with his servants, saying, At such and such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him. Thus he used to warn him, so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. Verse 11. And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who's in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. And all God's people said, Amen. You may have a seat. May have a seat. Because God is faithful, buckle up, loved ones, here we go. Because God is faithful, I can fearlessly walk by faith when I rely on his word in my situation. Because God is faithful, I can fearlessly walk by faith when I rely on his word in my situation. See, let's get some context for the first five verses we just read there. The context here, the the timing here is 850 B.C., And Syria is at war again with the northern kingdom of Israel. It's the main enemy of the northern kingdom at this time. You'll see a map. You'll see a map here. You've got Syria there in the gray. And then you've got the northern kingdom of Israel in the green. And so remember from last week, Syria is leading these raiding parties, quick in and out raiding parties, to sack complete towns and villages and cities in all of Israel. All right, so here they are. At war again. Can you put the main point back up again, team? I want to I make sure we emphasize something as I read through this. Now recall, recall, the Syrian king at this time is Ben-Hadad or Ben-Hadad II. And here he is, he takes counsel with his officers. And he's discussing where he's planning on setting up his camps in Israel where he would mobilize his forces from and attack the cities from. So these are like the base camps. So he's like, so where can we set up our camp so that we can launch our attack from against the towns of Israel? So here he is taking counsel. Where should we set up our base camp? But there's a problem. There's a problem. And that problem is Elisha. Elisha's the problem. He is receiving super, get this, get this. He is receiving supernatural revelation from God about not only where Ben-Hadad's base camps, he wants to set them up. Verse 9, that's why he's saying, don't pass by there, King Jehoram. He's telling the king of Israel, don't pass by those places. They're going to have their camps set up there. Don't pass by, verse 9. But also, God's revealing through Elisha what cities or towns the Syrians are planning on attacking next. He says, the Syrians are going to attack here. What a picture of God's sovereignty. The Syrians are going to attack here. They're planning in their bedroom, in the council chambers, they're planning to attack here. That's amazing. And so as such, King Jehoram from Israel is listening to the word of God through Elisha, avoiding Ben-Hadad's base camps, and also going ahead of him to fortify the cities or towns Ben-Hadad is planning on attacking so he couldn't sack them. Incredible. Incredible. And this just didn't happen one time. It wasn't like a fluke. Everyone say, God never works as a fluke. Nah, it's not a one-time thing. Love, love how it's described in verse 10. This happened more than once or twice. You know what that means? A lot. Ben-Hadad plans, Ben-Hadad gets thwarted. Ben-Hadad plans, Ben-Hadad gets thwarted. And consistently, As Jehoram turned to, believed in, relied on, and chose to act upon the word of God, even though he couldn't see it, God protected his people and thwarted the enemy. That's why the key truth is right here. God's word is never wrong. I must trust it. God's word is never wrong. I must trust it. 
Eventually, as we see in verse 11 to 12, Ben-Hadad gets so frustrated by this. Hey, hey, do you ever get like that? You make a plan and it gets frustrated and then you get frustrated? You ever have that happen? Oh, I plan to do this. I plan to do this. Oh, this happened. See, here's Ben-Hadad pounding his fist with his counselors. He gets frustrated and believes that one of his own trusted soldiers is a traitor who's feeding Elisha their locations and their strategy. He's got to, it's got to be someone who's close to me. Someone's leaking the plans. Who's on the payroll of Jehoram? And the soldiers, no doubt scared for their lives, they tell him it's Elisha who's telling the very words that Benadad is speaking in his bedroom. Now the word bedroom there, I love how the Holy Spirit did that. It's the innermost, most private place you can get. See how we talked about last week, the sovereignty of God knows no bounds. When we say God's omnipresent, it means like he's everywhere. He sees everything. He knows everything. So just live in the text. Think about what's happening here, loved ones. Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, he's planning out, working so hard to plan out every detail of every attack. He assembled every resource he thought he would need. He counted every cost that he knew of. He's an experienced war soldier, but he didn't count on one thing. He didn't count on the word of the sovereign God who knew what every strategy would be and was giving his word to his people to save them if, here's the if, if they would listen to it and rely on it. God's like, you listen to me, you will be saved. You don't listen to my word, you will get hurt. You do it my way and you will live. You try your own way, you will get hurt. It's a good word for us this morning. Are we more like Jehoram or more like Ben-Hadad? See, we must understand this, loved ones. Jehoram could do absolutely nothing. He didn't know. He wasn't in that room. He couldn't see what was coming. He had no idea. He could do absolutely nothing else to save himself or his people. No power. If he was going to see God deliver him, he had to rely in faith only, not as, okay, I'll take my little dose of faith over here and then I'll rely on myself for the rest. He had to only rely on the word of the sovereign God who saw the whole picture and knew what the outcomes would be. He, God sees the whole picture, loved ones. You and I do not. He knows what outcomes are coming if we choose to follow a certain path. And if it's not his, it's not going well. Every time. The truth is this. God's word is never wrong. You must trust it. It is sufficient. It is without error. It is never wrong. It never has been. It never will be. Yeah, but I just want to get married and just cut corners and do my way. You're going to get hurt, loved one. You're going to get hurt. Yeah, I just want to do it. You're going to get hurt. It's never wrong. You must trust it. And so how do we know? You say, well, that's a big statement, Pastor Ray. Like, how on earth do you even know that God's word is never wrong? I mean, there's a lot of things this world tells me to put my faith in. Things that, hey, wake up, wake up. Things that I can see that look a lot better. How do we know God's word will never fail? How do we know it's never wrong? How do we know it's completely sufficient for what you're facing or will face? Because he tells us. Psalm 1830, you'll see it on the screen. This God, his way is, say it together, say it together, is perfect. Wow. Exclamation. His way is not just right a little bit of the time. His way isn't right just when you want it to be right. His way is perfect. 
never wrong. The word of the Lord, and he takes it one step further to emphasize it. It's called parallelism. When you see the same point repeated with greater emphasis, here you go. The word of the Lord proves true. You say, but I can't see it. I can't see how it's going to, it will prove true. It's never wrong. It will prove true for your marriage. It will prove true for your parenting. It will prove true against your fear. It will prove true against your anxiety. It will prove true. It is never wrong, regardless if you can see how it will or not. The sovereign God who sees the whole picture wrote the book. It will prove true. And that's why I love Proverbs 21.1. It says, the heart of a king is like a stream of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it any way he wishes. It will prove true. And look at he goes one step further. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. Is he not being a shield for Jehoram and the people of Israel right now? Because they took their refuge, not in some battle strategy they thought, not in other things, oh, it's just God's word. Well, maybe we'll do it when we get around to it and everything else fails. Uh, you'd be dead at that point, bro. It will prove true and it's a shield. Okay, okay. Think about this. Loved ones, in your hand, right now, maybe on your smartphone. Perfect wisdom. Perfect truth. Not one error. Not one word of a lie. The God who never lies, scripture says. Perfect wisdom, perfect truth, perfect sufficiency. You can never, I don't care what people, people have been trying to take God's word out of the picture for over 2,000 years. Do you think that we would have come up with a way to do that by now if it was possible? Because it will always prove true. Martin Luther said, the word of God's a lion, let it out of the cage and it'll fend for itself. It always, perfect wisdom, perfect sufficiency. You can never and will never disprove God's word. You, people have been trying to do that for millenniums now. You will never disprove it, ever. You can't. Because the one who's sovereign and has all authority wrote it. What he says goes. Perfect wisdom. And he's still not convinced? Okay, God takes it one step further. This is probably the most beautiful passage in all scripture of God's description of his own word. Psalm 19, 7 and 9. He says, the law of the Lord, the word of the Lord is what? Say it all together. Is what? It's perfect. There it is again. Perfect. Look what it does. Look what it does. Reviving the soul. Anyone here need refreshment? Anyone here weary of running your own race, making your own decisions? Anyone weary of that yet? The word of God in its perfect wisdom, its perfect truth, its perfect power, perfect sufficiency, revives the soul. But he doesn't stop there. The testimony of the Lord is sure. You know what that means? It's true. It will always do what it says it will do. No question. It is sure. Wouldn't it be nice to walk, to wake up every morning and have some sense of surety in this life? At the pace at which everything's changing, that you know there's one thing that will not change, you can. The word of the Lord is sure. Look what it does. Making wise the simple. Anyone need wisdom today? Are you going to Google? Facebook? Man's wisdom? How about the perfect wisdom that will guarantee to prove true those decisions you have to make in your jobs say what do I do what do I do there's perfect wisdom available loved ones that will always prove true if you seek it by faith it will prove true it makes wise the simple look at this the precepts what's precepts the commandments of the Lord are right see there it is they're never wrong they're never wrong God is never wrong. Want to know the, what the right thing to do is that situation you face? You want to know what the right thing to do is, loved ones? It's right here. It's right here. Think of that situation for you right now. Maybe what you'll encounter this week. You know it's coming up. Or what you've just encountered. You want to know what the right thing to do is? It's here. Every time. Because the word, the precepts are right. Rejoicing the heart. Right in the middle of the trial. Can you have rejoicing? Yes, you can. 
Yes, you can. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. You need wisdom, you need some vision for where God's saying, there it is. Enlightening the eyes. Feeling dark in a dark place, enlightening the eyes. Loved ones, before we move any further, this is where the step of faith begins. This is where the walk of faith begins. We confess Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, take that step of faith, and then he gives us access to his word. We cannot discern the truth of God's word without the power of God in us. And if you're here today and have never confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to talk to you for a second, loved ones. You have no hope of understanding this word. And there is no hope to apply it because it must be applied by the power of God because it is the word of God. And so today can be the day of your salvation and you can keep running your own race. You can keep trying your own things. You can keep getting worn out. You can keep doing that. But at the end of the day, there's only one book that's gonna prove true. There's only one word that's gonna stand and it's not yours, it's not mine, it's not anything else, it's God's. The sovereign God who sees all, knows all, and has power over all wrote a book. And he didn't miss a thing. It's not like you're going to encounter a situation this week where God's like, oh shoot, I didn't think of that. I didn't think of that. I wish I'd put that in my book. Uh Uh-uh. That's never going to happen. He didn't miss a thing. Think about this. Think about the, the hope in this, the joy. Every situation you faced Every situation you are facing, whether you're in school, whether you're in a workforce, whether you're a parent, whether you're married, whether you're single, whatever, whatever the trial is, everything God's word will prove true 100% of the time in 100% of the situations. It never goes out of date. It never loses its relevance, and no matter what strategies or wisdom man may come up with, the perfect God wrote an inerrant book to give perfect instruction every single time, without fail. The question is, will you choose in faith to rely on it alone? And some of you are like, I'm just not there yet. I'm not, ask, ask him, Lord, give me the faith to believe. Give me the faith to believe that what you say is true because we can't generate, we can't white knuckle faith. We have to ask him for it. He gives us the measure that is needed in the moment. Ask him for the belief. So question, will you choose to rely on it and act upon it in faith? I love how, love how Charles Spurgeon puts this much more eloquently than I ever could. He says this, look on the screen. This weapon is good at all points. Good for defense and for attack. To guard our whole person or to strike through the joints and marrow of the foe. You cannot, be encouraged with this loved ones. Yeah, you might want to take a picture of this. You cannot be in a condition that the word of God has not provided. Let me just say that again. You and I cannot be in a condition that the word of God is not provided. The word has many faces and eyes as providence itself. You will find it unfailing in all periods of your life, in all circumstances, in all companies, in all trials, and under all difficulties. Were it fallible, it would be useless in emergencies. But Its unerring truth renders it precious beyond all price to the soldiers of the cross. Precious beyond all price. Is this how you look at the book? How about you? Do you believe this? What are you relying on or turning to in the situation or trial you're facing right now? Think about this past week, maybe in your marriage. My marriage is breaking down. There's tension. There's tension. What do I do? What do I do? You're trying on your own strength to change yourself. You're trying on your own strength to change yourself. You're You're just getting frustrated, 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 frustrated. Go to the book. He will show you 
He has foreseen that and he's given a path through that. What about this and the decision you're facing? What do I do about this job? What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And we start to get panicky. We start to get anxious. Loved one, not when you go to the book. The temptation will still be there, but the power is God's that will overcome it. What about this in your health or financial crisis? Where are you turning to? Or your family crisis? Did you, did you experience refreshment, loved ones? Wisdom, joy, clarity, and peace in that situation this week? Or did you get anxious, fearful, stressed, doubtful, and paralyzed and exhausted from relying on, could be this, your own strategies, other people, relying on your own finances, relying on even self-help books, media, wisdom of the world. That's where it takes us. When we start to get anxious about that, that's where it takes us. What are you relying on? Ask yourself the question, what am I relying on right now that I'm stressed? That I'm anxious? What, what am I relying on right now? Not God's word. It refreshes the soul. See, loved ones, all those things will come up empty because there's only one thing that proves true all the time, every time. And if you're wondering, you're like, you know what? I don't know how to get in God's word. I don't know what to do. Hey, check this out. Eyes up here. Resource right here. It's called God Time 101. I've put a stack of them at the Connect desk and they're gonna go quick today. So I would encourage you to grab one before you leave. But it's God Time 101. Just the basics for how to start spending time in God's word. There's uh, basics for journaling, basics for prayer, all of it right there. Pick one up before you go today. We want to outfit you with that. I don't want to give you a message like this and then, okay, no resources to help you. But you've got to choose to go after it. It's right there. Because God is faithful, I can fearlessly walk by faith when I rely on his word alone, alone in my situation. And as I rely on his word and faith to guide me, I see that I will fearlessly walk by faith. Last point for today is this. When I trust in his deliverance, through my situation. So I rely on his word alone in my situation and that leads me to trust in his deliverance through my situation. Key truth for this section is this. God will deliver me. I must trust him. God's word is never wrong. I must trust it. God will deliver me. I must trust him. Look at verses 13 and 14. And he said, this is Ben-Hadad speaking, and he said, go and see where Elisha is that I may send and seize him. It was told him, behold, he's in Dothan. So he sent there horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. See, look at this. After hearing that Elisha was responsible for telling King Jehoram about the Syrians' plans, Ben-Hadad asks where he is. Here it is that he's living in Dothan, and he sends out a great army by night to capture him in a surprise attack. Okay, now let's get a little visual of where we're at. Here's Doth, there, there. so Syria right there. All right, now show the next one. There's Dothan. That's the city of Dothan today. All right, so this is where Benadad's forces are headed. All right, this, this great army, it's about 10 miles north of the capital of northern Israel, Samaria. Now notice there where it says, and he sent a great army, verse 14. Do you know what, that, you know what the picture is, the Hebrew picture? Is this, it means abundant massive army. We're way beyond raiding parties now, loved ones. I'm not sending in a couple hundred soldiers to sack a town. I'm putting everything on this one so that he's going to be wiped out because once this guy's gone, home free. Watch this. So the Hebrew gives the picture of this, an insect swarm. Look at that. An insect swarm. That's how many soldiers there are surrounding this city. No escape. He was out to smother Elisha. Now, okay, stop. Stop for a moment. Don't miss this. Live in the text. Okay, let's get a real-time picture. This is the enemy right there. This is the enemy that God has allowed. Notice this. God has allowed sovereignty. That God has allowed to come after you. That's only one part of it. And by all indications here, as you see that, you have no idea. It's nighttime. What are you doing at nighttime? Hopefully sleeping. You have no idea that this opposition is coming. You have no idea. You are literally sleeping in your bed while your enemy is marching towards you. 
That opposition is coming and you don't even see it. But there is one who does. And this enemy has completely surrounded you and has orders to capture you and stop you from being faithful in doing what God has commissioned you to do. That's key. This enemy has orders to wipe you out, to stop you from following in faith what God has called you to. And you're going to wake up in a few hours and you're going to see this army encamped around you. Question, question right now. So you wake up. Just listen. What or who would you turn to and trust in for your deliverance in this moment? What are you going to do? Stressed out. Oh, I got to find a tunnel somewhere. I got to escape. I got to rely on someone else. Can't we, can't we get to the armory and can't we fight? Can we? What are you going to do? And why is that in question so important? Because here's why. What you turn to first is what you're trusting in for deliverance the most. What you turn to first is what you are trusting in for deliverance the most. Bring this into today. What did you trust in for deliverance and what you faced this past week when that trial hit, when that fear, when that anxiety started coming, when that worry or stress started to creep in? What did you turn to first when the suffering was happening and you were feeling surrounded by darkness and discouragement? What did you turn to? Who did you turn to? Did you trust in yourself? If I just work harder, then I'm going to be able to get out of this? Did you, students, did you, did you strive and depend on more of your grades? I just got to study harder to get out of it and get a better position? Did you turn to food? Oh, I just got to stuff myself with this so it numbs the anxiety I'm feeling. Did you turn to alcohol? How about, did you turn to other people for your deliverance? Oh, if this person just likes me. Oh, if this person just affirms me or gives me some... Did you turn to your anger? If I can just exert a little bit of control, then I'll get through it. Did you turn to your finances? How about this? How about this? Did you trust in the Lord to deliver you? Just think about it. I got so convicted on this this week, loved ones. And I'm up here and I'm just getting convicted right now as I preach this. But here's the reality that always proves true. Proverbs 3, 5 to 7. Look at this. Take it back. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with what? All your heart. Not just half-hearted obedience. Not just half-hearted. Yeah, okay, God, could, you could be true, but I'm going to trust over here. No, all your heart. All your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, your own wisdom. But this is what I see. This is what I see around me. This has to be the whole picture, right? Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. That means come under him. Humble yourself under him and say, you're God and I'm not. I am trusting you for deliverance because you see the whole picture. And look what happens. He will make straight your path. He will make straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. We love to be wise in our own eyes. Don't do that, loved ones. We're not wise. That's the reality. Don't be wise in our own eyes. Fear the Lord. Don't fear man. Don't fear failure. Don't fear... Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. And you may say this. That's a big statement. That's easy to say. But some of us may be asking, if you're like me, you're asking this right now. How do I know if I'm trusting in God for deliverance? Like, how do I know if I'm trusting in the Lord or myself or someone else? How do I know? Well, here we see three indicators that we're trusting in the Lord's deliverance of us and not something else. Ready? Write these down. These Every situation you face this week. Go back. Here it is. Three indicators We're trusting in the Lord's deliverance of us and not something else. When I'm trusting in the Lord to deliver me, number one is this, indicator one. After I will have peace under his protection and not panic. I will have peace under God's protection and not panic. Look at this, verses 15 to 16. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around. This is the viewpoint right here. All around the city, the servant of Elisha gets up. He sees this. And he says, alas, alas. Look at the exclamation marks. You don't think he's panicking right there? Alas, my master. What shall we do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Anyone ask that this week? What are we going to do? What's going to happen? What am I going to do? Look what Elisha says. Elisha says, don't be afraid. Huh? Are you seeing what I'm seeing? 
don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Um, Look what he goes on to say. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Uh Uh-oh. What on earth is going on here? After waking up and seeing this massive Syrian horde that was completely surrounding the city, Elisha's servant is filled. Notice his reaction. Fear, panic, stress, anxiety, immobilization at what is in front of him. In response, Elisha calmly declares what the call of faith always declares. And he says, do not be afraid. That's a word for someone in this room this morning. Whatever you're facing, I don't know what it is right now, but God's word for you, if you are in Jesus Christ, is this. Do not be afraid. Why? Look what Elisha says. Because those who are with us are more than those who are with them. You know what the Hebrew word there for more is? It means of greater abundance and more numerous. Now wait a second. <laughs> Just role play for a moment, right? So often faith looks like foolishness, doesn't it? Doesn't it? So Just role play. Okay, if you're Elisha's servant and you see this, <laughs> You look out, you see this massive army around you, and you're filled with panic and fear. Okay, question. And then your master says, don't be afraid, there's more for us than them. Are you actually believing him at this moment? Just be truthful. We're in church, you can't lie. Are you believing him in this moment as you look out and see this scene? No. No, and neither am I. I'm not believing it. What, Elisha? You got to get back to bed if we get out of this and get some sleep, bro. Like, think about this. Um, okay, okay, even if I did believe it, I'm not seeing it. So, um, uh, like, where are all the men? If they're really here, where are they? Elisha, here, here's the reality. Elisha knew by faith what his servant did not. Don't miss this. That they were protected By God. He would fight for them. And they were safe under his care. Even in the midst of this. See, write this quote down. And go back to it this week. Faith will always see what our flesh never will. Faith will always see, loved ones, what our flesh never will. Your flesh, my flesh, will always want to convince you and me that you and I see the whole picture. And that is never true. You and I do not see the whole picture. And this is why faith has to be the conviction of things not seen. This is why scripture tells us walk by faith and not by sight because you don't see the whole picture. I do, God says. I have got you protected. You do not have to be anxious. You do not have to fear. I've told you 365 times in my word, do not fear. Why? Because I am watching over you. You are my child. You are my daughter. You are my son. And I am a good and faithful father. Do not be afraid. There's the call of faith. Do not be afraid. And look what happens in verse 17. Look what happens. The eyes of faith, look what they see. 17, Elisha prayed and said, Oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened his eyes of the young man and he saw, look at this, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Uh Uh-huh. In your face, Satan. Can I just stop for a sec? This isn't a fairy tale, by the way. Did you know this is actually called a historical narrative, what we're reading right now? Which means this. It actually happened. 
chariots and horses of fire. Once the servant's eyes are opened, he sees an angelic heavenly army that could not be defeated, ready to do battle with the Syrians on behalf of God's servant. And you notice it says chariots of fire. Why is that so important? Because fire all throughout the Old Testament signifies the presence of God in that moment. Okay? The presence of God surrounding his servant, fighting for him, protecting him. Now check this out. Even though his enemies were surrounding him, God was surrounding his enemies. Look at the picture. Look at the pictures. There's what he's seeing. But here's the reality. Put yourself in that situation you are stressed out about this past week. Put yourself in that jobless situation right now. Put yourself there. What's your reality of what you're seeing? Going by what your eyes say or going by what God says? They were in safe, they were safe in the protection and presence of God, and they could be at peace even in the midst of what looked like an impossible beatdown that was on the way. They could be at peace. You see, 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 God's army loved ones was there the whole time. It was there the whole time. Elisha didn't ask God, send your army. Notice what he asked. Open his eyes to see the army that's already here. He didn't say send it, it's there. The Lord was encamping around them already. They were there the whole time, but the servant couldn't see it. All he could see was the opposition in front of him, and that led him to panic. Instead of believing in faith, the Lord was with them and would protect him. And here's the great news about this. The same God of the Old Testament is the same God today. And he still does it today. How do we know? Psalm 34, 7. Look at this. The angel of the Lord encamps. That means he sets up his tent around those who fear him and he delivers them. Every time. Can I get an amen on that, loved ones? Yes. He encamps. And he doesn't just sit there. He delivers them. He delivers you out of your fear. He delivers you out of your anxiety. He delivers you out of your trial. It may not be when you want it to be. It may not look like what you want it to look like. But that deliverance is on the way. The question is, will you and I, in faith, rely on his word and trust in his deliverance and not try to do it ourselves? It's on the way. Whether in this life, whether in the next life, but he will deliver. No one, here, I love that. I was so comforted with this this week. No one can touch God's people unless their defender allows. You want to touch my daughter? I don't think so. You want to touch my son? Fat chance. I'm encamping around him, I have the final authority. And devil, you can muster up all you want. But unless I allow you some little peek into their life, you're getting nowhere. And if I do allow it, it's for my glory and for our good. What awesome, awesome confidence. No wonder the enemy tries to blind us from this the whole time. Get panicked, get stressed. No, be at peace. So question, are you walking in peace under God's protection or are you walking in panic? Loved ones, you may feel surrounded in your situation, but God is surrounding your situation. Know this. You may feel surrounded, but God is surrounding your situation and is ready to fight for you and uphold his promises to you. But the question is, will you cling to his word and ask him for the faith to believe it and act upon it? Or will you keep striving in your own strength, in the stress, in the panic, in the weariness, in the fear, and reject the peace that comes from humbling yourself under him in faith and abiding in his presence. That's the choice, the choice for faith right there. My pride or God's promise.
When I am trusting in God to deliver me, I will have peace under his protection and not panic. Secondly is this. I will pray for his provision and not pursue my own. I will pray for his provision and will not pursue my own. Look at verses 18 and 19. And when the Syrians came down against them, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Please strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. Verse 19. And Elisha said to them, This is not the way, and this is not the city. Look how calm he is. This isn't the way. Where are you going? Where are you going? This ain't the city you're after. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. And he's not lying there. He's going with them. They're going to see him. I'll bring you to the man you seek. See, when the Syrians began to attack, Elisha prayed for the Lord to strike an entire army with blindness. Then tells them to follow him and leads them out of the city of Dothan to the city in Samaria, which was about, as I said, 10 miles away. Now, the Hebrew word there for blindness, here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean like totally blind, like we think total blindness today. What it means is visual confusion brought on by a dazzling light. Think the Apostle Paul. Think of that, like visual confusion brought out by a dazzling light. That's what God's presence tends to do. And Elisha knew... Why does he pray? Because Elisha knew there was nothing he could have done on his own and nothing or no one else he could have turned to. His deliverance ultimately depended on God and his posture of prayer would reflect that. The posture of prayer in our situation always reflects a dependency on God. Always. Why? Because prayer is the declaration of our dependence on God. You are God. I am not. I need you to help me see what I'm not seeing here. You are sovereign. I don't see the whole picture. I need you. That's the posture of prayer. Prayerlessness is a sign of our independence. I'm just going to work harder, God. I'm going to do my own thing. Or I'll pray for God to bless me, and then I'll just keep doing my own thing. Careful. Careful. I will pray for his provision and not pursue my own. We must understand this, loved ones. God's deliverance of us is always done to grow our dependence on him. God's deliverance for us is never for our glory. It's never so we can be more confident in ourselves. God's deliverance for us is always to grow our dependency on him. Question. Are you praying for God's will, for his purposes and provision in your situation, or are you pursuing your own way? See, Elisha knew there was nothing he could have done, so he prays in accordance. I love that word accordance in there. He prays in accordance with the will of God and receives the miraculous provision on his behalf. So are you praying for God's will, not, hey, God, give me what I want. Do it in my way. I'm the source of my provision. I'm going to do it on my time and ultimately for my glory. Who's the source of your provision right now? You? Someone? Something else? Or the Lord? Does your posture of prayer reflect it? Because here's the posture of prayer, what it says. God, give me faith to ask for you first. Give me your presence. Above all else, just give me your presence. That's where peace comes from. That's where abiding comes from. That's where faith comes from. Give me your presence. You first. And then have your way your time, and what you want for your glory. And as I said, loved ones, let's not, let's not fool ourselves. God, God's ways are higher than ours, amen? So that provision may not look like what you think and what I think it should be or will be or the timing of it. But his provision for what you need, he will often withhold what we want to give us what we need is on the way. I love how Ian Bounds says this. What does prayer have to do with faith? Just this. You'll see it on the screen. When our faith ceases to pray, our faith ceases to live. It's absolutely right. When our faith ceases to pray, our faith ceases to live. So guess what? Plug. Prayer night. Three days from now. Right across the hall. When faith ceases to pray, faith ceases to live. 
Lastly is this. Oh, I wish I could just keep going on this. When I'm trusting in God to deliver me, I will have peace under his protection. I will not panic. So there's a sign. If you're starting to panic, who am I trusting in right now? Secondly, I will pray for his provision and not pursue my own. Thirdly is this. I will be compassionate through his mercy and not cruel. I will be compassionate through his mercy and not cruel. Look at, we'll finish it 20 to 23. Here it is. As soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes and they saw and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. As soon as the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, look at Jehoram's response. Shall I strike him down, father? Shall I strike him down? He repeats it for emphasis. He answered, you shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those whom you've taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Set, look at this, don't strike them down, feed them. Set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared for them a great feast. Quite a turnaround. And when they'd eaten and drunk, he sent them away and they went to their master and the Syrians did not come again on raids into the land of Israel. See, after arriving in Samaria, Elisha asked the Lord to open the eyes of the Syrian soldiers and they see that they're in Samaria where the forces of Israel were gathered to kill them. This is where all, it was the capital city. This is where the forces are. Can you hear the anticipation, loved ones, in Jehoram's voice? Hey, can I kill him now? This is our major enemy. Can I just wipe him out? Let's get him, let's get him, let's get him. And then we'll be delivered. Then we'll be delivered. Still depending on himself. My way, this is what deliverance looks like. Instead of instructing Jehoram to kill his enemies, Elisha says for him to show kindness, mercy to them. What is mercy? Not giving them what they deserve. Yes, they deserve to die. They were the enemies of God. But God's like, "Uh uh-uh. My glory is on the line. I'm delivering you. You don't have to do that. And he sets out a feast. They could eat and drink and head back to Syria. Result, Jehoram listens, shows mercy to his enemies, lets them go. They didn't come again. Now, what's the lesson here for us about trusting God for deliverance? Here it is. When we are trusting in God for deliverance, notice what happens. It frees us up to take the burden of deliverance out of our own hands. Did you catch it? It frees us up to take the burden of deliverance for our situation out of our own hands, not to think of ourselves so much. You ever get in the trial and all you can think about is you? Eyes come on yourself, off the Lord. But when we trust in the Lord for deliverance, the burden for our deliverance comes off us. It's in his hands. And it enables us to extend our hands to those in need around us right in the middle of our situation. Right in the middle. We can show mercy. Elisha was free of trying to trust in himself for the burden of deliverance because he trusted God to deliver him and he could show God's mercy to others, even his enemies. Question. Eyes up here. Maybe this is just me under this conviction this week. But this, um, do you ever notice how merciless we can be? You ever notice that, loved ones? How merciless we can be to others when we're going through a trial or a situation? And our anxiety and our stress and our fear and our tiredness and our weariness leads us to lash out harshly or to strike others, strike them down with our words, with our actions, with our thoughts, instead of our dependence being on the Lord, relying on his word, walking in his peace and provision and extending the mercy of God to them by his power at work within us. Hey, loved ones, how about this? The burden of deliverance is one we were never meant to carry. And I wonder how many wives or husbands in this room right now have been struck down mercilessly by their spouse with words of hurt and pain and condemnation and anger because you're relying on yourself for deliverance through a situation and not walking in the faith and the peace of God. The burden of deliverance is not yours or mine. How many children right now have received a tongue lashing from their parents out of anger and fear when that stress and anxiety kicked in? Hey, parents, 
you know, one of the greatest things you can do for your kids, humble yourself in front of them and ask for forgiveness. Spouses, how would marriages look differently today? If husbands, you lead in this, you turn to your wife, even right now, you turn to your wife after the service and said, please forgive me. Pray for my faith. We get chippy with each other. We get harsh. Strike down. Strike down. Maybe other family members. Maybe your brothers and sisters in Christ in this room. There's someone you'd be like, I got to go make that right with. I was talking harshly to them. I responded gruffly to them. I was rude. I did not show them mercy. Here it is. You'll see it on the screen. Last quote for today. The person who has an increasing faith in the Lord will always display increasing mercy from the Lord. Did you catch that? Let's say it again. The person who has an increasing faith in the Lord will always display an increasing mercy from the Lord because the onus for deliverance is not on themselves. Of course you're going to get stressed if you're depending on yourself. Of course your flesh is going to lash out. And we're not going to do this perfectly. We want to get greater and greater as Christ grows us at it. But we persevere. And just as the great feast here in verse 23 represented God showing mercy to his enemies and establishing a new covenant of reconciliation with them. Notice that's what the feast was a picture of. It's a covenant of reconciliation between two former enemies. Interesting. Look at this. Just as that feast represented a new covenant of reconciliation with them that saved their lives and gave them hope. So God has shown his mercy to us when we were enemies of him by establishing a new covenant of reconciliation with us by sending his son Jesus Christ to die for us in the greatest act of mercy of all time. God giving us his son that we did not deserve. And Jesus Christ, who came to earth as fully God and fully man, paying the penalty for our sin on the cross, rising again three days later and defeating sin and death for all time. And if we repent of our sin and confess him as our Lord and Savior, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. And it is because of Christ that all who put their faith in him will never receive what they deserve. What is it that you and I deserve apart? from Christ here it is death and separation from God for eternity in hell that's what you and I deserve but for the covenant of reconciliation amen because of his great mercy we are not consumed and if you're here loved ones let me speak to you very clearly if you are here and you've never confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior this is the first step for you do not hear this hear this hear the word of the Lord right now do not sin away the day of mercy that is upon you right now. Do not sin that away. Do not reject that. Today when you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. His mercy is great, your need is great, and he has given you his son to pay the penalty that you deserve. And here, believers, if you're here and you've never, and you have confessed Christ, you have to know this, we have to know this, loved ones. It is through the power and mercy of Christ alone. The power of Christ alone that we can rely on his word in our situations and walk fearlessly by faith and trust in his deliverance through them every time. Here, wanna know why? Because he who calls you is faithful. By his mercy, you are not consumed. And he will surely do it. Do not be afraid. Let's pray. Jesus Christ, you are our living hope. You are the only living hope, the only name under heaven by which we must be saved. Father, I pray right now, as we finish off this series, God, I pray for great faith to be welling up in this room in every heart. For those who are here and have never confessed you as their Lord and Savior, I pray they would see their great need today. They would not sin away again the day of mercy that is upon them. They are not here by accident. Oh God, would you open eyes to see, just like you did for Elisha's servant, would you open eyes to see today? Would you open ears to understand and hearts to respond? We can't do this, only you can, please help. And for those of us here who are struggling, who are weary, who are weak and just needed encouragement from this message today, I pray they would be, that you would be welling up and strengthening the measure of faith that you have given us. God, we ask you for that right now. 
that whatever that situation is, as we sing this last song, that we can honestly, we can uh, declare with authority that this we know, we will see the victory come. This we know. And we would just be literally casting those things on you as we sing, just casting those situations on you. This we know. We will see the victory. This we know. We will see the enemy run. Because by your great mercy, we are not consumed. And so we bless your name, Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. Oh God, that we would be a church that walks by faith and not by sight and says, today I choose to follow you. Today I choose to rely on you. Today I choose to trust you for deliverance because the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and will deliver them. This we know in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.